so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Welcome, everyone, to episode five of Some Like It's Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and I'm joined today by none other than my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? You were telling me that you're very excited about the return of American Idol, which is premiering tonight, I think, in just in just a short while. Yeah, I'm very excited uh, for the return of a show that I uh, watched as a, uh, as a child and as a teen growing up, and I'm even more excited about... Uh, the greatest three weeks in sports, in my opinion, about to start with March Madness, uh, watching the last few names on the selection show right now, so I'm really excited to start filling out those brackets and get going with, uh, with the tournament. Yeah, I know. I've got a, I got a couple of leagues that I've already agreed to enter, so i got to start thinking, yeah, maybe <laughs> doing some like very, very fast research, because I haven't paid as much attention to, obviously, some of the smaller teams who went you in. Oh, yeah, you got to start doing resume checks on David Lipscomb and Montana yeah. and all these other schools. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, didn't, I think Penn upset Harvard, so instead of your typical Harvard or Princeton, you have Penn this year. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, Penn pulled it off their 16 seed, though, so. Yeah, well, perfect. I mean, it could be the first ever 16-1 upset. I think that still never <laughs> happened, right? Oh, we will see. Who knows? Yeah, well, anyway, uh, we came to discuss the Oscars, and, and as much as Amer- you're excited about American Idol, I doubt that's probably going to come up again, because the Oscars, the Academy Awards, is a bit of a different kind of reality TV. And, you know, re- regardless of how much we've discussed this, at, since we discussed this at length already, pretty much, it, it really doesn't need any introduction. But last Sunday night saw the 90th annual Academy Awards, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel, with The Shape of Water having the best night of the different film nominees, pulling down four awards, including the awards for Best Picture and Best Director. There probably isn't a better place to start our discussion of the show than there, because it was the biggest winner of the night. But what did you make of Shape of Water coming out on top? Yeah, you know, we kind of talked about, um, you know, even though Three Billboards Outside Epping, Missouri was the movie that had really won everything up until that point, uh, save for the Directors Guild Awards, which actually has proven to be a really big predictor in the past years, and Guillermo del Toro did take that one home. But, you know, Three Billboards, even though Three Billboards had been the overwhelming winner in uh, previous awards, we kind of thought that Shape of Water was trending upwards, um, especially with it getting the most nominations, the 13 nominations, second most all-time. Um, and, you know, again, talking about how it fuses some really good technical um, aspects, and, and even though it didn't win in a lot of those technical categories, it won for set design, I think. And, yeah, production and design. Yep. Yeah, and music. Um, but uh, just the fact that the Academy uh, acknowledged it in most of those technical categories showed that it... Uh, it, it connected with the film, uh, the, the craftsmanship of the film on a technical level, and then also um, of the film on a storytelling level. You know, obviously it did have acting nominations, uh, three acting nominations for Octavia Spencer, Richard Jenkins, and, uh, and Sally Hawkins. Um, and of course, and then Guillermo del Toro um, took home the Best Director Award. So I think this was kind of the, the comprehensive uh, nominee across the, board, across the board. It was pretty consistent. Uh, it was the name that came up the most consistently throughout the night, uh, obviously, because it had the most nominations. But um, 
but so I think I, I wasn't too surprised uh, to see it win despite the success of three billboards in previous shows. Yeah, I same. I, I wasn't surprised. I was, if anything, uh, I, I think, that, well, to step back a little bit for a second, I, I think the 13 nominations, as you said, speaks very strongly to the all-around quality of the film, at least from the Academy's perspective. And I think for, further beyond that, even, the fact that it only won four awards of those 13 nominations kind of speaks to how this year was a really tough year to win an Oscar because it was a very competitive year. I've kind of heard mixed things about there was no... like it was a, And from my perspective, this was an incredibly strong 12 months in, in theaters and, in, you know, seeing new film you know, across the spectrum you have, whether it be with respect to representation, whether it be with respect to storytelling, music, I think across the board, it was a very strong year. But at the same time, because either because of or in spite of the fact that it was a strong year, they didn't really feel like there was a standout film that should be like cleaning up at the awards, right? Like we'll talk in a little bit about like the acting awards that Three Billboards won and the technical awards that Dunkirk won. But the fact that only four awards out of 13 nominations, that seems like a, a low pull-through in terms of your nominations, or am I just off on that? No, and I think I think that's, that's definitely on point. I think I actually even texted you right before they were about to announce the Best Picture and said, I legitimately have no idea what's going to win Best Picture. Right. Because, because of, I guess, the diversity throughout the night of movies that won. I mean... You know, Shape of Water, as I said, it did have a lot of nominations, but Dunkirk was taking most of the technical categories. You had three billboards winning two acting nominations. I mean, the screenplay Oscars went to a couple movies in Get Out and Call Me By Your Name, uh, which didn't win anything else. Um, so honestly, you know, going into Best Picture, I thought, well, it could be three billboards. It could be Shape of Water. I even thought, you know, that, that Dunkirk or, or even Get Out um, – had a legitimate chance of, of taking Best Picture. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that that is a, a valid comment about... Um, I, I think, it, you know, like you said, it really reflects the strength of the movies this year that um, it wasn't as predictable as it has been in previous years. Although, honestly, I think in in the past few years have been the same way, and maybe, maybe for different reasons, maybe not necessarily because um, the field has been as comprehensively strong as it was this year. But, you know, you look at last year, I, I wasn't, you know, sure what was going to come out uh, on top between La La Land and Moonlight. And, you know, it, and neither the did past, the Academy. There have been some others like um, going back to when Avatar lost out to the King's Speech. Um, I, I think it, it has gotten a little um, less easy to predict. Um, in, in recent years, but I agree. I think that this was the year which had probably the most potential films where I thought, well, yeah, that possibly could win Best Picture. Right, yeah, and it was, I was just more pointing out the fact that there, I thought it was such a strong year in film, and some, some people were commenting that as strong as it was, there wasn't any runaway film. There wasn't, like, none of the best pictures of this year would maybe stand, I think what this person was saying was would stand up to past winners of Best Pictures. Like, as good as Shape of Water might be, or as good as the films this year have been in the comprehensive quality, to use your words, that it doesn't stand up to the best picture in previous years. Yeah, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree. I think, uh, perhaps on the contrary, we have, the, the, the issue this year was that you had three or four movies that could maybe stand up to yeah. uh, previous best picture winners. I mean, even you, know, you look at a movie like Get Out, yeah, that didn't win best picture, it won one Oscar, but uh, I think, Anyone who follows film at all um, would be the first to tell you that this is a movie that is going to stick around for decades to come, probably. Yep. Um, much longer so, than Shape of Water will, for sure. 
Yeah, I, 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 def- I think so. Um, and, and we were talking about this a little beforehand. I think Shape of Water is, although it's obviously very critically loved, I think it's been a little cold to the touch to a lot of audiences just because of the subject matter of the movie. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe like you said, that isn't one that's going to hold up. But I think some of these other movies, like, um, like I mentioned Get Out and like um, Lady Bird even, um, yep. for what it did for the female directors, females in, in, in film in general, and, and for coming-of-age movies as well. I think those are two that immediately jump out to me as movies that will stick around for a long time, even though they didn't take home the prize. Agreed, yeah. I think I think their effects on, on you know, filmmaking, if you will, uh, on the industry will will have will be broader than Guillermo del Toro's and Shape of Water, right? I mean, we've already talked about films just in the past week where we've seen Black Panther and Annihilation films that have strong female leads to their core and also have very um, very positive race politics, at least in the case of, of Black Panther, um, from a critical and critical and a cultural perspective, at least. Yeah, and on next week's show, we're going to talk about two more movies with female protagonists. So yep. Red Spar- in Red Sparrow and Tomb Raider. So we've, we're definitely seeing a cultural shift here. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and yeah, so I, I don't mean to take up the argument of this person who said that the best picture this year wasn't as good as past best, best pictures, and that's why it was you couldn't really tell who was going to win. But it was an interesting perspective that I thought worth bringing up because I'm sure some people feel that way, and, and I agree that, that we're going to be talking about Get Out, Lady Bird, you know, for me, even if if enough people saw Phantom Thread, I would be t- keep talking about a movie like Phantom Thread for longer than than Shape of Water. But that's just me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we we were both pretty impressed with Phantom Thread. Yeah, that was just I me. Mean, so I mean, it it fired blanks. And, no, it got costume design. It got yeah, costume design. Yeah. But uh, I was really disappointed that Johnny Greenwood didn't win. We'll get to this, but maybe. But I was disappointed that Johnny Greenwood didn't win the best uh, best score. For for motion picture in, in it, and yeah, I was I, d- I definitely thought he was one of the front runners. For yeah, sure. and, and as great as and maybe even undisputed a winner as uh, Gary Oldman is for Darkest Hour, I think Daniel Day Lewis' performance is is you know up in the top tier of performances that you expected from him. I think at this point, and, and Gary Oldman, it isn't necessarily a given as strong as actors he is. He hasn't been he hasn't received those accolades before, and maybe that tipped the scale for him. Yeah, definitely, and I think Daniel Day-Lewis is honestly, he's achieved sort of the Meryl Streep, Jack Nicholson-type status now where, uh, he, you know, he's always going to keep getting nominations, but I think they kind of feel like, well, we could, if we if we wanted to, we could give it to them every year, um, so, you know, might as well spread the wealth. I don't think uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's pedigree is going to take any sort of a uh, knock because he didn't come out on top of this. No, for, for sure, I, I totally agree, but The d- Darkest Hour being the weakest of those of those Best Picture nominees, yeah. probably. Uh, still, still rubs me the wrong way because I think I Tanya should have been nominated, but nevertheless. And the Florida Project. And the yeah, absolutely. I I can't I can't you know you know die on that hill for the Florida Project because I haven't seen it, but I, I know how vocal you've been about it, and I've heard plenty of people who've been very vocal about how it should have been nominated. All right, so I think we're, we've talked a little about the shape of water, and I mentioned that we were going to talk about two other big winners of the night, and I think that. If you were going to quantify who the big winners were, we have Shape of Water. But I also think the, the acting awards for Three Billboards, or the, the acting performances, we've talked about them at length when we talked about Three Billboards, when we talked about the Golden Globes. But again, confirming how amazing performances we have from Frances McDormand and Sam Rockwell. And of course, Woody Harrelson can't also win the Best Supporting Actor, but from Woody Harrelson as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I've said on previous episodes that I thought this was the best ensemble of the year. Um, so I, you know, was pleased to see it win both awards. Um, 
you know, even though I did think there was a chance that both both the both of the categories, best supporting actor and best actress, I thought there was a chance that both of them could go another way. I mean, I I thought that Richard Jenkins was going to win, or I, I predicted Richard Jenkins would win for Shape of Water on last week's episode. Um, but you know, Frances McDormand, I think it really speaks to the power of her performance, um, considering that she was in the category with three actresses who have never won Oscars before, but have you know consistently done good work in Sally Hawkins, Saoirse Ronan. Um, and also Margot Robbie, um, and you know, you look at the, the Academy. You know, usually wants to give wants to recognize people who haven't won Oscars before. Um, you know, perhaps like we saw with Gary Oldman, like we've seen in the past with Christopher Plummer and Matthew McConaughey and Jeff Bridges, um, just to name a few recent examples. Yeah. I mean, Matthew so, yeah. Matthew McConaughey cleaned up that year, though. Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, no, no, it, it was a great performance, but um, you know, I, I think I think. He, he, he's an actor that was more recognized for the the breadth of his career sure. um, than necessarily for like a blow, you know performance that blows you away. I'll do, although I do think he was excellent in Dallas Buyers Club. Um, but uh, you know, I think this is a year where you could have easily looked at the field and said, "Oh well, Francis McDormand, Meryl Streep, they've won before, um, so it's time to recognize one of these younger talents." Um, but I think Francis McDormand's performance was just—it was so impossible to ignore. Um, how how mesmerizing and how how take charge and, and how just how brilliant it was in general. Uh, so I think it really speaks to the greatness of that performance that the Academy couldn't ignore it, even though it had you know some very promising newcomers who who I have no doubt um, will be making future appearances at the Oscars. I mean, Saoirse Ronan, she's only twenty three and this was her third nomination already, so she's going to yep. get her Oscar in due time. Yeah, um, it, it was funny because people were. Glad to see Francis McDormand take it home. Yeah, it's funny that, yeah, I I think widely held belief that Sharshi Ronan is going to be maybe the next Meryl Streep in terms of the amount of awards and nominations she's going to get. But it's strange, it's strange to, because everyone calls her a newcomer, and, and in many ways, Lady Bird was her coming out film, because it's it's a much more widely seen and talked about film than either Brooklyn or, I forget her other Best Supporting Actress nomination, what was it? Was it was Atonement, actually, her Atonement. first movie when she was a teenager. Right, right, I, 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 I couldn't remember the name of it, but yeah, so I think that this is a much more widely talked about film, so it isn't in the sense of coming out party, but it's also strange that she's already been nominated three times and, and she has so much ahead of her. Although, that being said, I will raise my hand and say that, uh, although, I, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence has won an Oscar now, but I said that about Jennifer Lawrence and she's... She's taken a bit of a dive since I said that about her, so hopefully Starshi Ronan doesn't. Yeah, yeah, p- perhaps a little bit, um, but you know, I think the fact that that Saoirse Ronan, I mean, she's been nominated, like we said, for, since she was like thirteen, I think was how, how old she was when she got nominated for Atonement. Um, yeah. So the fact that she has kept up doing consistently good work for the last ten years um, shows, I think, that she's not really going anywhere. Um, I hope perhaps so. Maybe as as Jennifer uh, Lawrence has gone, and, and, and you know, you see you see that in the past too with um, with other child actors or, or really you know young actors who get nominated for an Oscars, and then you when they're really young, and then you don't ever really hear from them again. Uh, but you know, Saoirse Ronan obviously obviously hasn't had that problem, and I don't think we'll have that problem going forward. Yeah, well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. But going back to three billboards, I think that I, I totally echo what you say about Frances McDormand. And as as controversial uh, as this film has been, especially post Golden Globes when it started getting more hype as kind of maybe the Oscars favorite, I think that it's hard to not be, if not blown away, then extremely impressed by her performance as well as Sam Rockwell's. Even if you're like me and, and I really find have some trouble with the character, 
and I know a bunch of critics who I who I pay attention to um, would go even further than my uh, my critiques of the film. Calling, I did actually hear one one critic call it an abomination that should not have been nominated for best picture, which I think I find to be an incredibly extreme take. But what but, uh, what critic was that? Do you know? Uh, somebody at the Ringer. I, I can't remember if it's Andy Greenwald or... or... It was Bill Simmons. <laughs> no, no. I'm sure Bill Simmons has plenty of hot takes, but I doubt he puts yeah. them on podcasts uh, about movies because he does his sports podcast. Um, but yeah, so I think the, the acting of Sam Rockwell is equally as powerful um, in terms of a performance as, as Francis McDormand, even if you find the character a bit distasteful or more than a bit. Definitely, and you know, he's been doing good work, um, again, uh, for a long time, so... Um, I was glad to see him recognized, uh, especially because, you know, some of my favorite performances of his in movies like Laggies and The Way, Way Back have been more comedic performances. So they're not the type that the Academy usually recognizes. Um, so, you know, I was glad to, t- to see him take on uh, this role in a uh, more more serious, more dramatic, you know, movie that the Oscars was likely to pay more attention to. And it, it obviously paid dividends for him. Yeah. And if, I, if I'm not mistaken, he might he might be probably up again for something next year too i'm trying to remember them with the movie he's already getting a lot of oscar hype for um his oh i, I don't know either <laughs> isn't he i think he's playing um george bush in the in the in the adam mckay dick cheney film oh wow yeah. that could be really good actually i, I think that's a that, that's a good casting choice i don't i don't know if the if the release date is official or if even if the film i think it's a i don't think that the film has an actual title yet but adam mckay is directing and i know that he, he was confirmed as um, as George Bush, and I think the leads in the in the movie, which has got me, which is what drew my attention to it, and then I noticed that Sam Rockwell was George Bush. But what drew my attention is that Christian Bale is playing Dick Cheney, and Amy uh-huh. Adams is playing Lynn Cheney. So, um, yeah, well, maybe, maybe Rockwell will pull off the Tom Hanks uh, of winning Oscars in back to back years. Yeah, maybe it'll be a discussion we're having next year, and I'm just really excited about this because I'm I'm a huge Christian Bale fan, even though he doesn't always uh, he doesn't always necessarily. Uh, exceed my expectations but i'm a big christian bale fan and i i think i don't know if i've talked about this on podcast before but i am a fanboy of amy adams uh by far and away i will literally go see pretty much anything by her and and just think she's awesome but well you go see anything by isla fisher too because she looks like amy adams yeah i (laughs) i know we've taught we've made we've had many jokes about this before but there was this uh person who i was having a discussion with after seeing uh nocturnal animals and this right. person hadn't seen Nocturnal Animals, but we were discussing about whether Isla Fisher looks like Amy Adams, and I was just like incredulous the whole time because I'm just like she literally was cast in a movie as Amy Adams. As Amy Adams. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I haven't. I don't think I've seen anything else but with Isla Fisher in it other than Nocturnal Animals. But it is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Nevertheless, back back to our point. But yeah, Sam Rockwell, strong strong act, strong performance here. He's had a strong career, as you say. He's been a few different films than what you normally see get um get i mean they get nominated but they don't also they don't always win awards and you can look at even like the big sick as an example for which had a best original screenplay nomination but probably wasn't anywhere near winning that category right okay yeah so we talked about acting for three billboards i think now it's time to shift our focus over to dunkirk and the in the technical awards which it which it took two of the two of the big three for technical it took uh it didn't take production design however it did win uh, sound mixing, sound editing, and, and I think it won another Oscar too. Um, I'm, it's escaping me right now, but technical aspects of three billboards. We've talked. I don't know if we've talked about in the past about how 
well done of a movie this is. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think this was kind of a no-brainer. Um, I think I, I predicted that Dunkirk would, would sweep most of the technical categories. Um, just because, and I'm going to use the I word that I always use again about this movie, but immersive is exactly the way to describe the experience of watching this movie. Um, you know, you really feel like you're there in the battle. Um, and, you know, the way that it transitions um, between, you know, three fronts, really, because you have you know, the stuff at sea with, with Mark Rylance, um, and you, you have uh, what's going on in the air with Tom Hardy, and then you have the, the soldiers on the beach as well. Um, and the way that it was able to shift between these storylines um, while really having no break in the action, really, while, while, while keeping uh, the tension high and keeping us uh, glued to the screen, uh, I think particularly with the... Um, in the film editing category, um, yeah, that really made this the obvious choice um, for for a lot of the technical awards, and obviously the sound um, it obviously also adds to the the immersive experience of this movie. Um, so yeah, I think I think this was a no brainer. Yeah, that was the one that I had forgotten. The film editing, the one that should have come to my mind first. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The, that it, it it swept up the one like I said, the one it missed out on was production design, which didn't surprise me because I did pick Shape of Water to win that uh, but you could make I a very that, yeah. yeah and you could make a very strong case for Dunkirk in that category as well but uh, a few different characteristics would lead to the shape of water making more sense as a pick but yeah this my the toughest thing about me for Dunkirk is as immersive as an experience as it is and I 100% agree totally again and I know I mentioned this when we were talking about Oscar nominations you know a month a month and a month a month ago even now but it's just I haven't thought about it very much. It's like it's almost too immersive that I f- almost forget it. I forget it sh- soon after, and that I mean that's the kind of shortcomings yeah. that you see and why it wasn't as big of a contender for best picture or for Chris Nolan even best director. Yeah, and I think you know this is a problem we've seen with movies before too. I've, I've already mentioned one of them, but Avatar uh, I think was a movie which was just so widely praised for its technical aspects, and that you know maybe that those sort of got the better. Um, of the the storytelling in the end, although I do think that Dunkirk is a superior film to Avatar. Um, I you know I th- I think um, m- maybe it is a it's a very visceral experience in the moment, but then again, like you like you said afterwards, um, it doesn't leave you leave you with a ton to talk or think about. Yeah, it's just a matter of, of praising its technical abilities, and then it, it's not. There's not much to debate. It's not like an, you know, more recently an Annihilation or you know even the other films in this category, like Three Billboards or you know Phantom Thread. You know, plenty of plenty of films to really sink your teeth into in terms of a discussion. But this one doesn't leave you with too much. Yeah, and to be fair though, you know, it's hard for a historical film to inspire discussion in 2018 you know about something that happened absolutely years ago in the way that three billboards um you know could press those buttons but uh, you know i I do think that there's a lot of merit to what you're saying yeah totally totally and and just as a just as a point of contrast i'd say something like you know the the post didn't take many awards uh not to anyone's surprise but you know the post is an example of historical film where there is more to talk about even if it wasn't as well done i mean i don't think it's anywhere near the quality of dunkirk personally yeah but it is a example of historical film that can still have like a, a, culture, a culturally modern day relevant tint to it. Right. I think it's really just about the time period and when the movie is released because, yeah, like yep. you said, the post did have uh, relevance because of what is going on with, uh, you know, our, our politics in, in America today. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, when we were talking about Dunkirk, it almost reminded me of 
the Revenant from was it? I don't even remember what year it was. Was it last year? Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, where you know, fi- I mean, Leo DiCaprio finally wins his Best Actor um, award, but like no one, no one wants to talk about that movie. Not, like, there's nothing to talk about the movie. Like, I still haven't seen it. I mean, confession. It's, it's, I mean, I'll, I mean, you're probably not the only one. Like, it's a it's a tough three hours to sit through. And yeah. I, I remember we talked about it, you know two years ago when I saw it. I was like, yeah, I just saw it. I never want to interact with this film ever again because <laughs> it manages to take this incredibly grim topic that's like, you know, this person Hugh Glass is based on a true story to some degree who gets mauled by a bear and and betrayed by his, or I shouldn't say well he was betrayed but left behind by his you know, comrades, and he, like, somehow finds his way back, but then, you know, that's not spoilery, because that's, like, what, what the film is known for, but then, you know, it somehow managed to get even grimmer after he does make it back to the yeah. base. Um, it's just kind of this film where it just heaps on misery and and not something you want to see or, ta- or talk about after you see it. Anyway, Dunkirk, spectacular technical film. If you haven't seen it, it's probably not shown in theaters anymore, and the theaters was definitely the place to see this movie, but try to see it if you can, because it is incredibly well well done. So the last the last kind of film that I've kind of bracketed in the winner's category is Coco. It's not something that we've talked about very much, and I'm not sure if either of us have even seen it. I don't know if you've saw, you've seen it. I, I have not gotten around to seeing it yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. It's in, it's in my queue on iTunes of my wish list, so I'm, I'm going to get around to it soon. But... I, I, for me, I, I think you have to call this film a winner. It won best. I mean, it's not. It was favored to win the best animated uh, feature film, but it, it it did also take home an award for best song, I believe. Uh, uh, yes, best original song. Yeah, best. It won best original song leading out for uh, Robert Lopez, who you probably you probably saw this note, but he became the first person to win a double EGOT. So he now has multiple. Emmys, Grammys, Oscars, and Tonys, which is insane because there's only like eight people who have a single EGOT. Um, but I guess there's just there's just no stopping Robert Lopez when it comes to winning awards at these things. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty remarkable, and uh, I I do have a, sh- a short admission that I actually did know this because his wife, Chris Anderson Lopez, who's also like a co-winner on these awards, right. is a Williams alum. So it's actually <laughs> there I'm, you go. Yeah, I'm I'm actually quite familiar with. I with think their she status. might have an EGOT as well, but I don't think she has the double EGOT. Yeah, I know she's won she's won Grammys and she's won Academy Awards. I'm not I'm not well up to date enough about the Tonys. Um, right. Or yeah, so I, I'm not I'm not 100 and the Emmys, so I'm not sure about that. Right. Yeah, I think um, I know I mean I know that her husband is uh, Robert Lopez is, is much is much more famous for being the double EGOT or well at the time a single EGOT winner, but nevertheless. Right. Yeah, so you know, big big win for that. We don't have much to say because we haven't seen the film, but I know that you know there have been there's I feel I feel like there's been about one animated feature a year where I'm just let I see because I'm unfortunately I don't see enough animated features. But for me, like last year, it was well, so I guess Coco is the one I, I currently want to see that falls into this last year category. The year before it was Zootopia, which I was, fell in love with. I loved Zootopia, and then Inside Out the year before that. Uh, like one a year where I'm like I really need to see this film and I think Coco is definitely that for the awards that it won at the Oscars and also just for the general uh, praise it's gotten for you know uh, Hispanic culture right yeah and you know I'm kind of in the same boat with one a year and of course my one this year was the Lego Batman movie but um, we we've I've already ranted about that in a past episode although I do think if you've seen the uh, the gif of Jennifer Garner um, and the whatever when she's clapping at some point during the during the telecast and like 
appears to come to some sort of shocking realization. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I think it was she was realizing that uh, the Lego Batman movie was not nominated for um, Best Animated Feature. I think that's the only thing that um, explains the reaction that she had. Um, but, uh, you know, props to Coco. I think even if Lego hadn't snuck in there, you know, Pixar is pretty unstoppable when it comes to winning this award. So props to Coco for doing um, all, the, all that it could to, to win these awards you know you know animated features don't ever really get nominated for best picture so it really uh it it, it swept um what it what it possibly could yeah i mean we'll see next year right because i think wreck it ralph 2 is coming out next year which i if oh, i'm not mistaken is not for that i love the first one yeah if i'm not mistaken that's not pixar so and i know wreck it ralph won best animated feature didn't it the year it uh, came out? i'm not certain that it did um you might want to fact check that Ooh, but, um, oh boy it should have if it did yeah maybe maybe it was maybe pixar did did beat it out. I'm gonna check check on that, and we'll uh, I'll self correct if if I was wrong there. But you know, shifting from the winners to the losers, we've talked about a few things that upset us or disappointed us um, in terms of people who didn't win or people who weren't nominated. But I do want to go ahead and call out the fact that you know explicitly, like Lady Bird was a big loser on Oscar night, not not getting any awards out of the out of its you know handful of nominations. Yeah, and you know I think that we this is a movie that we thought you know, might get some nominations, uh, or might get some wins, uh, potentially in the best director category. Um, but I think this movie does kind of fall in the category of it's an honor to be nominated. Um, because I don't know that it really had, uh, very legitimate chances of winning. Um, because it is, I mean, for, first of all, it is, it's a little quirky. I mean, it's a comedy, uh, primarily. Um, but then, and, you know, this is, a, this is something we haven't really talked about. Um, with this film, but it, it's also, it is a coming of age movie, uh, which is not a, a genre, you, you know, again, like animated or like comedy where, um, the, the Academy usually pays a lot of recognition to, um, which is, yeah, I, personally, I have a lot of thoughts about that, um, uh, because I'm a huge fan of some of these movies. Um, uh, particularly in recent years, I think we're, we're living in the era of some of the best, um, movies in this particular genre. If you look at, you know, previous years you look at movies like the spectacular now and the perks of being a wallflower um you know i think these are those are movies that are just as good as if not better than ladybird um so i think it I, i'm even though it did not take home anything um i'm glad to see that the academy is paying uh more attention to these types of movies and acknowledging that um even though they may focus on teenage characters that a lot of the academy members can't exactly relate to um they uh are are doing so in a very very relatable way um for a lot of people um so you know again i think uh it's great to see lady bird nominated for that reason in addition to what we've talked about before with it being a entirely female-led film for the most part yeah i can only hope that greta gerwig and sharshi Ronan, who i strongly believe will have their day actually have their day in the future because it's it's not that I think that Sharshi Ronan put in a better performance and should have beaten out Francis McDormand for this Oscar, and it's not that I think Greta Gerwig should have won Best Director over Guillermo del Toro, though I think you can make a very compelling case for that. Uh, I, I will say that I was disappointed that a film like Shape of Water, for example, won Best Picture over Lady Bird, and I understand that it's a def- I mean, like it's a defendable position that Shape of Water should win Best Picture over it. I'm just it was my disappointment, and I just only can hope that. Uh, Greta Gerwig and, and Charshi Ronan do have uh, their their day in the spotlight for for their you know their for getting accolades for the incredible work that they do and and starting you know hopefully a, a between this and Wonder Woman really starting a movement towards strong 
uh, female-centric movies. Yeah, baby steps, but we're definitely getting there. For sure. Yeah, I don't have too much to add because, you know, I'm, I'm totally with you. That the com- I mean, the coming-of-age film is a tough one for... The, at least I can't think of too many off the top of my head that have won Oscars. Um, Whiplash, Whiplash is the only other one in recent memory that I can think of. But that was just an acting award for, uh, for J.K. JK Simmons. Yeah, which, who doesn't have anything to do with the coming of age of Miles Teller's character in that film. But, I mean, I suppose it's his drum lead, but it's not the actual performance of the coming of age, if you will. But I take right. your point. I take your point. All right, so I will raise my hand here and say that I was wrong. Wreck-It Ralph did not win Best Animated Feature in 2012. Brave beat it out, which is Disney Pixar. So, there you go. Yeah. Pixar's unstoppable. Yeah, so the only non-Pixar films, just go to a bit of a deep cut here. That, Shrek. That, uh, well, I'm just thinking, so since 2010, um, yeah. Toy, I don't think, is Toy Story 3 Pixar? I think it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, so that one, uh, Rango, is definitely Paramount, uh, not yep. Pixar. So I think Par- I think Big Hero 6 was Disney, but not Pixar, maybe? I'm not I sure. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, they just, they dominate. You know, the last three were, like I said, Coco, Zootopia, Inside Out, and then Big Hero 6, but then there's Frozen, Brave. It's just dominant. They're dominant. So, you know, I, I raised my hand. I, I got it wrong. But, you know, maybe Wreck-It Ralph, too, will give will give uh, the the category a fr- fresh air. Um well, we shall see. Yeah, we shall see. Anyway, yeah. So, going from Lady Bird to the, you know, there are a lot of quote unquote losers on the night. I think category, but another big one I think is is Mudbound. Um, and then I, I also in my like show notes here I put Mudbound slash Netflix because Netflix continues to to not uh, win any of the big awards at the Oscars because I'm I'm adamant that that the Academy does not like Netflix as a distribution medium for for well, feature films. That that that's that is a valid uh, point. I think. However, I think it should be noted that the winner in the best documentary feature um, category, Icarus, yep. was a movie that was distributed by Netflix. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's it's last fall. Yeah, and, and and actually, Netflix is one of the best documentary feature. Actually, the last two years now, I believe. Okay. Or I could be wrong. I, I don't even recall what won last year. I don't remember either, but I right. I know that they've won awards in categories like outside of your like we'll call them like the big six or or yeah. big six plus categories um but this like this year was their first nomination in that in those categories and so right. it's not a surprise they don't win on their first entrance into it but the fact that they get so little coverage and they are creating like really strong um film especially documentaries i give them credit like they're they're creating very good documentaries i, I don't think it won but like 13th last year was an incredible documentary um, yeah anyway Ava DuVernay's, yeah yeah um, yeah, you know, I think that up till now, Netflix's, their original programming has kind of focused more on TV shows um, and documentaries, like you said. Um, so I think, you know, Mudbound was kind of one of their first forays into, um, into you know, sort of serious, dramatic um, feature films. Um, so, you know, I think the fact that the Academy did acknowledge it maybe shows that they're, they're open to possibilities in the future if Netflix continues to make films of this quality. Um but yeah, you know, maybe it was too soon for it to take home any awards. Sure, and, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I think of almost like comparing them to Amazon Studios, who obviously has a connection to Amazon, and they could debut all their movies on Amazon Prime Video if they wanted to. But they instead launched their films in theaters, and I wonder if if Mudbound had been released in theaters. Uh, yeah, they had a big winner last year with Manchester by the Sea. So right. Yeah. Amazon did that. That's no, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. Like the fact that that you know has. As as controversial as Casey Affleck is as a person, and winning that Oscar last year, which even so controversial that it caused a, a rupture in, in the tradition of the Oscars this year, um, yeah. the the fact that it went to theaters before 
going on to Prime Video. I wonder if Mudbound had gone to net, gone into theaters for say a month or two months and then released immediately onto Netflix. I wonder what the difference would be. Uh, I wonder if the Academy would would note that and maybe be more open to recognizing it. But that's purely conjecture. I have no way of proving that. Um, just a thought. Right. Cool. Uh, I don't. Is there any other big like? I mean, there there's you know a, a handful of other things we could talk about in terms of losers, but those are the big ones that came to mind for me. I mean, we've talked about Phantom Thread, although it won costume design, not really having any effect in any of the more major categories between you know, Vicky Crepes and Best... and best Was she Supporting Actress, or was that a Best Actress nom? I guess it was Support... Vicky, you mean the fact that she didn't get one at all? I'm sorry, I mean, Leslie, Leslie... I'm talking... Leslie Manville. Yes, Leslie Manville. Actress, yeah, yeah. You know, but, you know, she wasn't going to beat Allison Janney, obviously, but... Yeah. Uh, n- not winning there, Daniel Day-Lewis not winning there, and for Best Actor, not winning Best Director for Paul Thomas Anderson, not winning... Uh, best score is the kind of the big one for me that I thought Johnny Greenwood should have won for, but I don't know if you qualify that as a as a big loser. But is, are there any other films that you want to talk about in this kind of you know losers category, if you will? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. You know, I think those are, are really the two ones where you you kind of thought uh, you know with Lady Bird and Mudbound, you kind of thought there were a couple categories where they might sneak in, sneak in and win um, an award. Um, and, and you know they they didn't um, come out on top. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of think those were those were probably the two biggest uh, biggest losers of the night. Everything else kind of went pretty much as we expected. Yeah, or, or you know, like like I said, Phantom Thread still got their token Oscar for costume design, which would have been right. you know absurd if they hadn't won that one because it's as you I think you put it on our last podcast. It, it's a movie about costumes. <laughs> I mean, the costumes are a character in the movie, practically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so I think probably the last thing for us to touch on before we talk a little bit more high level is just, you know, the, the Oscars as a spectacle this year and Jimmy Kimmel's performance as, as the host for the second year in a row. I, don't, I know we've talked about a little bit about this via text and maybe off, off mic, but I really enjoyed this year's Oscars. Yeah, you know, I think every year's Oscars has um, some lags in the show just by its nature. You know, it's like a four-hour long program. Um, and you know, a lot of the awards, the average viewer, um, is not going to be really that invested in, um, you know, with the exception of the big six probably. Um, but I think that this one was definitely one of the more, um, watchable Oscars in recent years. Um, you know, for me, the thing which, which sort of maybe took me out of it for some, some periods, uh, were the performances of the best original song nominees, um, you know, I kind of feel like, uh, they're kind of just space fillers. Um, they don't really add anything, um, to the proceedings. You know, if I want to hear the song, I'll watch the movie. And it's not like, you know, the, the fans are voting on what's going to win the best original song. You know, it's not a, a it's not the voice. Yeah. Um, so. And the academies, are, and they're not even open to like the general public. It's like all the people who are nominated for the awards and their families right. there at the show. So it's not like the live performances for an like a real a quote unquote real audience. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little strange. Um, uh, you know, especially since there's five nominees, so we had to go through all five of them. So that that sort of took me out of it. But yeah, in general, I thought that this was. Um, you know, I thought they moved pretty smoothly along with the speeches. Um, I thought that you know, even some of the the lesser award winners had had good speeches and, and made the most of their their time up there. And then there, there were some sort of some great montages. Um, uh, I always.
always love to see when they, they do like the classic movie montages. And there was one in particular that would lasted about three or four minutes. Um, that was just fabulous. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, this definitely one of the better, one of the better telecasts in recent memory. Yeah. I mean, what other live telecasts of the Oscars would ever have Army Hammer with a hot dog gun? I mean, that's true. I didn't even think about that that particular aspect. Um, that that um, little sketch that they did, I suppose you could say, um, which was rather entertaining to see. You know, this night, which is known for being, uh, you know, distinguished and you know the, the the fanciest night in Hollywood, to see, like you said, Army Hammer and Guillermo del Toro shooting out hot dogs to a theater full of stoned moviegoers. Who were, uh, who were there to see A Wrinkle in Time, not the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody said on Twitter, like, I can, I can guarantee you if these people are watching a movie during the Oscars, they probably don't care about the Oscars. <laughs> and so probably the, the effect of that was uh, a little bit lessened. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I sincerely wonder if, it's, if they weren't, like, planned to be there and they knew that ahead of time. I wonder how, how staged it was. Because yeah, I'm, I'm like you. If, it's like, certainly they, possible. Because I'm like you, like, I mean, for me, I would never probably go see a movie instead of watch the Oscars. At least, uh, I don't know, I, I, I can usually schedule around that. I can go see a movie another time. I know, I understand it's like a private screening, so it's a bit different, but it's... Unless it, it was yeah. a private screening of the uh, To Kill a Mockingbird adaptation written by Aaron Sorkin that NBC is putting live, um, putting on live in like a year or two. I think that might be the only time when I would actually go see the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that is that is something that, I, that came across my radar, and I... I was hoping that that would just come to theaters, but it sounds like it's not. Oh, well. Yeah. Alas. Uh, yes, but I agree. It was very watchable. They The the jet ski is just hilarious, the whole concept yeah. of that to me. And the, the almost you know constant reminder of the jet ski by Jimmy Kimmel. I, I appreciated the like self-referential humility that the Oscars has. That being said, they still relentlessly put on a four-hour program, even though they're self-aware that it's four hours. So I don't know how yeah, much it's worth. Trying, at least trying to incentivize the the winners to keep it short keep it succinct yeah i didn't understand that like like some sometimes they played music and sometimes they didn't when the speeches were going long like there were some speeches that towards the beginning that were going very long i thought that didn't hear music and then at the end like Guillermo, like they played music during Guillermo del toro i think or something i think like it's just hard at the beginning of the telecast to know exactly uh you know how to budget your time so sure. maybe they they let them go a little bit longer and then just see see where they are at that point um and, you know in terms of fitting everything in Sure. Yeah, that, that's true. Who knows? But yeah, and I also thought Jimmy Kimmel's performance was strong. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm adamant that it's like actually pretty difficult to not do well in these award shows, but I understand that it's like it's possible to not do well, but I thought he was good. I thought he did a great job, too, um, especially because, you know, a lot of people were knocking him, sort of like we talked about with Seth Meyers of the Golden Globes, um, for, you know, because this was, this was a big year for women, and, you know, we had a, a male host, but I thought that he... Um, did a good job of sort of, you know, mocking that a little bit um, and, and, you know, just playing off of uh, the year that it was uh, for women in film um, and, and getting some, some humor out of that. Yeah, I know there were some jokes on on Twitter, and maybe not even necessarily jokes, but like a commentary about how it was like, was it Selma Hayek and who was the other person she was with on stage? Uh, I don't recall. Yeah, but like they they should have hosted the Oscars <laughs> instead of oh, Jimmy Kimmel because right, right, yeah. they had like taken their shoes off and they were very. I mean, they were very funny when they were presenting was, the two uh, awards. Was it Maya Rudolph? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. It's slipping my mind right now, but they were presenting uh, two awards in a row, so they got a lot of a lot of screen time and they were hilarious. Yeah. 
anyway, yeah, I think I think that's pretty much all the content we have for this. I just wanted to kind of close out here with with two questions, one that we kind of normally apply to our movies and one that I want to we've been talking about and and maybe not naming it, but first that question is, you know, what was the most like disappointing moment or like the most like it's the winner you were most disappointed in. Maybe that's the best the best way to describe it. I guess it would just have to be best picture um just because you know, I haven't seen The Shape of Water. It's not a movie that I've really been itching to see. And, you know, this was this was a year where I was really excited to watch the Oscars because I feel like this may be the year where I've seen the most movies nominated. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had uh, strong, strong uh, positive feelings about a lot of the movies that were nominated in the Best Picture category. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it does end up going to a movie which I haven't seen before. But, you know, this is a year where I thought, you know, I, I, I'm going to have seen whatever wins the Best Picture. And then, of course, that wasn't the case. Um but, you know, in, in general, I think everything went the way that, um, like I said, we were kind of expecting. But if I did have to point to one moment, I guess it would be best picture just because I was hoping that at least something I would have seen would have taken it out. Yeah. But that's on me. That's on me to some extent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes and no. I, I'm also disappointed in best picture. I will say something else just to, just to be a little bit different in a second. But I, I agree. Like, I, I mean, I've seen six of the nine films that were nominated and, like, one of the ones that I hadn't seen was Darkest Hour, and there's, like, I mean, we're all pretty in agreement that there's no way that was going to win Best Picture. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I've seen seven out of nine. Um, yeah, so Shape I, of Water happened. Yeah, I hadn't seen Call Me By Your Name, and I hadn't seen Shape of Water, which I believe are the two you right. haven't seen either. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was like, oh, I get Call Me By Your Name could win. Like, Timothy Chalamet is, you know, widely praised, even though he didn't win Best Actor. And, yeah, so you know, I would have liked it to have been something that I had seen, and I also think that even having seen Shape of Water... Um, the 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 premise of the film is is maybe something that's never going to get me excited about it winning best picture yeah nevertheless i think that to be a little bit different i've talked about this already but the whole the most disappointing win for me was probably related to the shape of water alexander desplat winning um winning best best score for over people like johnny greenwood or or also um Remind me the name of the Carter person. Burwell yeah, Carter Burwell for three billboards. Exactly. Yeah. So you know that was a disappointing moment for me because you know Al- I think Alexander Desplat recently won best animated like best score a, a few years back for I'm drawing a blank right now, but he's definitely won it before, and so I was hoping that Johnny Greenwood could win it. He's I think it'd be a first time for him. I think it would be a, as well, but he's actually. He's, he's Johnny Greenwood has already scored another movie in 2018 that I saw the other day. I can't. I, I didn't see the movie, but I, I saw that he had scored it. Um, I can't recall which movie it was, um, but I think he'll he'll get his day um, at some point. Yeah, I mean, even Alexander Desplat, like he he scores like four films a year. I know it's a bit different for Johnny Greenwood, who's who's in a band and and stuff like that. But right. uh, he does he does do a lot of work, and so you know he'll he'll, he'll maybe have another chance. So yeah. We'll see. But yeah, so kind of switching gears and almost flipping the coin, so to speak, what was your favorite moment or favorite uh, winner at the Oscars? It can be either for this year. Uh, so definitely my favorite um, winner, favorite moment um, was seeing Roger Deakins um, finally win an Oscar for um, cinematography. Uh, I, I honestly had no idea that he had not won an Oscar before uh, just because he's such a ubiquitous name um, in the world of cinematography. This was his 14th nomination, I believe, um, and he had not won. Um, but, I mean, just looking at his filmography, like, it's incredible 
how many classic movies he has been responsible for over the past 25 years. I mean, you know, he's, he, he um, does most of the Coen Brothers movies going all the way back to Fargo. You know, movies like The Shawshank Redemption, A Beautiful Mind, um, The Reader. Like, you know, these are, these are you know, huge classic movies um, from the last decade. You know, just in the last few years, you have Sicario, you have Prisoners, you have Skyfall, True Grit. Um, you know, it, it, you can, the list goes on and on. Uh, so to finally see him uh, get recognized um, for his consistently excellent work uh, in Blade Runner 2049 um, was definitely a great moment. And, and I love that the, um, you know, the crowd really appreciated the moment by giving him a standing ovation when he uh, when he finally reached the stage. Yeah. And on a similar note, I I also did not realize I was I was in your boat. I did not realize that he had not ever won an award before, but I was just really happy that Blade Runner 2049 won an Oscar, and then it won two Oscars, so I was kind of losing my mind, I know I was texting you during it, because um, that was in my, uh, you know, easily in my top five films from last year, and because it, it didn't do nearly as well as people thought it was going to do at, at the box office, it's, it's in question whether or not that the the kind of planned, I hate to use the word universe of movies uh, to come out of it, but they had they had planned to do more movies if it was successful, and I don't know if it has been successful enough to warrant future movies. But to me, like I was so disappointed to see that because I thought it was an incredibly well done movie, and a, like to, in my mind, way better than the original Blade Runner, a movie which I know it's a kind of I mean I know it's more of a cult classic the original Blade Runner than it is like critically acclaimed. But I think, yeah, yeah. I think it, it. I think personally, it's safe to say that Blade Runner twenty forty nine is a critically acclaimed movie. Yeah, definitely yeah. from what I've seen and, and what I've heard from you. Yeah, so we'll see. I know I went back and checked how much money it made at the box office after it won these awards, and it did end up doing like one hundred and fifty percent of its budget. So it made like two sixty and a one forty budget, which is. But for a while, they wondered if they were going to make their money back. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll see if it made enough to warrant a sequel. But I mean, In Your Two is. Or an hour or two. I'm not 100 percent sure how to pronounce his name, but I, I he is such a talented director that I also don't want him to just do Blade Runner movies. So I won't complain too much. You mean Villeneuve? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, Dennis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Yeah, you're right. I don't know why I was thinking you two there. Another great director. <laughs> he should also do yes, more movies. Villeneuve is also great, though. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Well, I don't know what I was thinking there, but yeah, Villeneuve. You know, he did arrive. They make similar type of movies. They do, right? I. Yeah, um, Villeneuve made you know Arrival the year before, which was one of my favorites from 2016, and yeah, he's just a high quality. He did Sicario. I think he did he did the original Sicario too, right? I know you're not a huge uh, fan, but I think so. And, and Prisoners, you know, the, yep. both both of which Roger Deakins um, did the cinematography for. Yeah, they're they're regular collaborators. So yeah, I was I was just very happy to see it recognized. Although for similar categories, I think it was cinematography and uh, was it. Visual effects. Visual effects, right. Uh, yeah, cinematography and visual effects, which I was very, very pleased about, even if it didn't receive many nominations. It, it was very efficacious in the nominations it did have. Yes. Awesome, yeah. So I do want to, again, raise my hand and make another correction to myself from tonight. So it's, it's been a rough night for me so far in terms of... We just <laughs> we just had an hour or two, and I had uh, Wreck-It Ralph earlier, but it's not Selma Hayek. I don't know what I was thinking. It's Tiffany Haddish in my Rudolph. Um, you know, if you... If- if you uh, if you get a hit three times out of ten at bat, then they put you in the Hall of Fame. So, ooh, <laughs> tangential hot take there. 
Um, oh, no, I'm saying only, only three times out of ten. That's all you have to do, and they'll put you in the Hall of Fame. So you can mess up a couple times. It's yeah, not well, a big deal. I'm getting, I'm getting my fair share tonight. I will say other things that made me – I know we just talked twice about Blade Runner, so I, and I will make another comment is that I, I enjoyed that – we mentioned earlier the the disruption of the kind of equilibrium of the Oscars with Casey Affleck not, not appearing at the Oscars to award the winner for Best Actress. Right, but they I had females awarding both of the acting. Yeah, they had they had besides Warren Beatty, they had females um, <laughs> o- awarding all and, the major yeah, awards. Yeah, Mahershala Ali also awarded best supporting actress. Right. Yeah, and I was thinking more like the best actor, best actress. I don't right. remember who did best director and picture. Yeah. Who who I don't remember who presented best director. Was that Emma Stone? I, uh, it might have been, yeah. Right, because she would have been presenting Best Actor, and so my theory was that they just gave it to all women for the Best Actor and Actresses and then yeah, gave her yeah. Best Director. So, right, so I'll, I appreciated, even though it was maybe somewhat subtle, that that is, the, that is the approach they took. Yeah. Cool. So I think last, and maybe the only reason people tuned into our Oscars episode was just to hear the results of our ballots. I know oh that... I know it's that not going to be good, I don't think, but let's... Do you want to go first, or...? Sure. I mean, I was just thinking that uh, we would just... We don't have to go through category by category. That would take way too long. But maybe just talk about our, our score and then maybe the, 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 our pain points in terms of our ballots and, and also the, the high points of our ballots. So for me, I had an, a, a solidly average. I'm not, I'm not actually quite sure who's going to come out ahead here. I had a solidly average night. I got 14 out of 24. Uh, yeah, okay, so, wow, not as bad as I thought, because um, <laughs> I came out with uh, 16 out of 24, so. Cool, yeah, so you, you took the win there. I was a little frustrated because I there were a couple, there, and I could, like, sew it on my ballot where I had picked certain people to win, marked them out, and picked other people, and the people that I had originally picked were the ones who won. I, I talked about this with you off mic with, uh, I had picked Coco to win Best Song and then changed it to Mudbound, kind of last minute, and uh, I was sad. It was very sad. Yeah, you know, I think for me, um, maybe what stopped me from getting more was that I did take a few risks. Uh, like, you know, I went with Richard Jenkins, like we talked last week, for Best Supporting Actor. Um, and also, thought I thought Greta Gerwig would win for Best Director. And also went with um, with uh, Mudbound for Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, so mm. those were three of the bigger categories um, where I uh, lost uh, some points. But, you know, I, I, I was did pretty well on the on the smaller categories and, and the technical categories um so i think that's probably where i earned my keep yeah i i did really well on, on all the major categories best i'm like you best director i i missed out on um of like the big six categories but outside of that i i missed both um original score and original song which which hurt me uh i had picked johnny greenwood for best original score and like i said i had switched my my uh, my ballot pick to Mudbound for best original song, and then I also lost on a lot of the far, the a lot of the lower awards. I didn't do any research; I just kind of picked fired from the hip, and so missed out on a lot of the the awards that most people aren't as familiar with the the short the short features, the you know the animated feature. I mean, I got the animated feature right because it was Coco, but uh, you know the the more obscure we'll call them awards that don't get don't, don't get enough widespread attention. Shout out to Kobe Bryant for his first Oscar. Yeah, I I heard uh, that there's the new thing where he's the first person to win the LMFAO instead of the EGOT. It's the LMFAO. I don't know what they all stand for, but I think it's like league MVP. Yeah. Uh, like in finals MVP. Yeah, it's like finals MVP, Oscar, and there, there's like another. There's another. There, like yeah, but it, I thought that was funny. But yeah, I mean, 
I'm not the biggest Kobe Bryant fan. I think the that list of, the list of people which who which he has more Oscars than is pretty funny too. Like Al, Alfred Hitchcock, um, <laughs> Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Wow. Dang, I didn't realize Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise hadn't won Oscars. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't have to go into it deep, but I think that as as good of a night it was for gender and race politics and Time's Up, etc., that like people like Gary Oldman and Kobe Bryant winning Oscars isn't the greatest look, but it is what well, it is. Well, yeah, depending on what you want to believe about the Gary Oldman situation, there seems to be some, uh, sure. some very conflicting reports from that story. But yeah, but definitely definitely Kobe's is, is a little sketchy. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I mean, I, we won't get into it. We'll, we'll just stop it there. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll cut it off there. We don't, we don't have to get into it. Uh, all right, so we're going to take a short break, and then we will come back, and we'll talk about something not related to the Oscars. Uh, movie Trivia Schmodown. We had a, title, a couple of matches in our title week this past week, and so we thought it worth talking about. We'll be back in a sec. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, although the Oscars is now behind us, it also has been a very big week in the world of the movie, movie trivia showdown as we had two title matches this week. Scott, we had the singles title match on Tuesday, the team's uh, championship match on Friday, and they were both, uh, you know, <laughs> highly competitive matches, but for maybe different reasons. Yeah, definitely the Friday match is is one that we want to discuss because of uh, something very controversial that's happened. Maybe maybe one of the most controversial matches ever in the Schmodown. Um, but you know, kind of I guess kind of starting with the singles match since that was the first match. Uh, you know, of course we had Sam Levine, defending champion, um, against Rachel Cushing. Uh, and you know, coming into the match, I kind of thought that Rachel sort of had all the momentum. I mean, Sam had not won or had not played since his championship win at the Spectacular. Um, against a very uh, off-form Christian Harloff. Um, so, you know, I think there were a lot of people who felt that maybe Sam hadn't necessarily deserved his title um, win, and that Rachel, especially after her performance in the, tri- in the triple threat match to open the season, um, that she was going to be the one, or that, that she was really the favorite coming into this match, and that she was going to defeat Sam and take the belt. Um yeah, but but uh, and it looked possible I, until until round four, man. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, so you know, the first round, I believe they were tied at six after the first round, um, and then second round, Rachel spins first, gets fantasy sci-fi, and like literally runs through the uh, questions in about thirty seconds and gets eight points. And I thought, well, man, the ball's really in Sam's court here, um, and he steps up, spins Scorsese twice, um, and then he proceeds to run through the category and get eight points. Um, albeit, I will say that those, I, I knew all the Scorsese questions, they were a, li- a little bit on the easy side, I would say. Um, although the first one was, uh, you know, about what movie Max Cady is from, which I think, uh, you know, a lot of people don't don't remember that Scorsese directed the remake of Cape Fear. Um, and even if you did, it's not a movie where people instantly remember character names. I only remembered it because... I've seen the original movie um, with Robert Mitchum, um, but Sam was able to pull that one out, although it did take him a little bit of thought, you know. But then the other ones were, were kind of what you would call surface level questions, sort of who starred in this movie, what is the you know which movie 
uh, was set here. Um, so not the most difficult questions, but still very impressive by Sam to, to come back and get eight. So then I believe they were tied at 14 uh, going into the betting round. Um, but then, like you said, the, the money-making round was really the, uh, the speed round, round four. So uh, why don't you tell us about what happened in, in round four of this match? Yeah, I mean, round four... You know, Sam Levine is, is someone who is known for, I mean, he's only had one experience with it, I suppose, with, with his match with Christian Harloff, but he was also very successful in the speed round against, against uh, you know, the commish. And he, uh, he, he cleaned out uh, Rachel Cushing in the speed round, swept all five, and like a very visibly frustrated Rachel Cushing going into round five. And she put up a, a very strong fight, getting her two point and her three point uh, correct to kind of dig herself out of out of the hole to some degree, but she needed the five-pointer. And, you know, I think this year, has anyone gotten a five-point question yet this year, right? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're, you, they, I mean, they are the hardest questions in the game. Yep. Um, so it, if anyone has, it's, you know, it's been slim. Yeah, so Sam, um, you know, Sam Levine gets the TKO defense. And yeah, <laughs> people talked about this match being close, like 22-21 scoreline. Uh, I was on the kind of the, the group page on Facebook and looking through, and someone made a very proper point where it was like, this match wasn't close, it was a TKO. <laughs> like, exactly. I think that yeah. happens a lot with the final score lines. You look at it and maybe say it was close. But no, that's because Sam didn't literally didn't have to answer a question in the third round. Yeah. Or in, and, the, in the final round. Um, yeah, and it, yeah. it was a competitive match, though, and it was a really good match. Yeah, definitely. And I think Rachel will have her, her day uh, in the future, but... I was kind of glad to see Sam win, just because I think it's a little early um, for Rachel to, um, to to um, to to claim the belt. I mean, she has only about six or seven matches to her name in the singles division at this point. And you know, if you look at previous players, previous title winners, I mean, Sam had to play like thirteen matches before he won. I mean, Roca had to lose two title matches before he took the belt, and and Mark Riley, you know, he won and lost the belt. Uh, a couple times, um, so I think I think she needs to grind a little bit more before she uh, she earns it, so to speak. Um, but she's obviously a, a really strong player and has has a very good chance to make some noise in the team division um, with the Shire Wolves. And speaking of the team division, uh, that brings us to the, the team title match uh, on Friday, which, like I said, probably the most one of the most controversial matches ever. Um, yeah, I remember on ten- you didn't watch it Friday night, right? You watched it Saturday morning. I watched it very late Friday night. Okay, yeah, you watched it very late Friday night. I remember, like, the, the match had only been up for, like, maybe four or five hours at most, and I screenshotted you a picture of the Facebook page that already had, like, 1,000 comments or something, the master yeah, posted. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, but, you know, so we had Top Ten and the Patriots take, uh, facing each other for the third time. You know, a lot of people, I think, like me, felt if the Patriots win, it would be the last time that these teams would meet. Maybe it would be the last time we'd ever see Top Ten play. Um, the match started off, uh, you know, pretty competitive. Um, the Patriots had a slight lead, um, going into the betting round, the third round, which is, uh, sort of where all hell broke loose. Um, That's putting it kindly too. Like things got crazy in round three. Yeah. So essentially what happened and, you know, if you haven't watched yet, don't, uh, don't let me spoil it for you. Yeah. So um, we're, we're going full spoilers for like the next, we'll say just flash forward like well just maybe just turn the episode off that's probably the end of the, the episode for you <laughs> okay. um there we go good marketing just turn the episode off yeah basically skip, done. skip um, forward like two or like five minutes if you haven't watched yeah well so the betting round um so rocus or um snyder or was it jte that spun the wheel uh jte spun in the J- team round 
in the in the wheel yeah. round, so it's probably Schneider. Yeah. Okay, Schneider spins and uh, and gets westerns, or uh, it, it came around to westerns eventually, uh, which obviously is one of Roca's strong categories. Um, the question comes in; it's a question about Cat Baloo and who is the star of the movie Cat Baloo. Um, and so Christian first goes to the Patriots, who did not have the answer, and they wagered one point, um, so they lost the point. Then he goes to Roca um, and says, you know, what was your answer? And Roca said, or he, he wouldn't show the board. Yeah, um, Jane Fonda was the answer. Exactly. Jane Fonda was the answer. He wouldn't show the board, but, like, there was a little little talk. Um, but then, you know, he eventually showed on this board that he had literally scribbled something. Um, and he's, you know, at that point he said, oh, it's Jane Fonda. I wrote Jane Fonda because that was the correct answer. Entirely um, illegible <laughs> scribble. Yeah, exactly. It, it was, you know, people have done screen grabs and stuff of it on Facebook, but like it, I, for, for my, in my opinion, it was definitely illegible. Um, and, and so Christian initially says, no, that's wrong. And T10 had wagered three points. So they lost three points. Then Roka challenges, um, so no, no, they, no. Christian, Christian awarded them the three points. He said, okay, you wrote something on the board, it counted. Oh, okay, he yeah. did award them the three points. Yeah, so, so so the game was tied now going into round four. Right, yeah, exactly. It was going to be tied at 22, I believe. Um, and then, so then, but then the, 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 so the answer went under review. Um, yeah, because then, then the Patriots challenged. Right. Yeah. Um, and they came back and said, well, what we're going to do is respin." Which honestly was kind of the uh, weirdest answer they possibly could have given. Because um, yeah. really, the, the way I saw it is, you either say Roka got the correct answer and give them three points, or you say they didn't get it right um, and you know they lose three points yeah. and move on to the next round. Yeah, uh, that was my perspective. So the, I thought the answer just should have been wrong. I mean, like I was, I'll, I'll not hide my allegiances. I was definitely pulling for top ten. But I just thought that they should have gotten like that should have just been counted as wrong, and you know, as- especially since since Roca, like he knew that it wasn't an acceptable answer, and that's why he hit didn't. the board originally. Yep. Uh, but then I think he kind of just thought it through and thought, well, they didn't get the right answer because that that's the whole thing about the whiteboards. Why they even have the whiteboards in the first place is. Uh, to, to assure that someone, you know, you can't just say the answer that someone else said after they've already said the correct answer. Well, isn't it, was, isn't it also like the set, like you get the same amount of time to think about your answer? It's like both, right? right? That's yeah. that too. Yeah. But, you know, Roka's thought process was, well, the Patriots hadn't got the correct answer, so there's nowhere he could have cheated and just said, oh, I put Jane Fonda. Uh, because he actually did know that the answer was Jane Fonda, but it just took him too long. And honestly, that's part of the game. I mean, you have to be able to come up with the correct answer in time and write it down. Um, so honestly, I think they should have taken three points away from T10. But actually, it ended up costing T10 even worse um, because then they spun again. Romance was the uh, category. There's a question about collateral beauty. Um, and T10 missed. And... Um, and the Patriots got it correct, um, and I don't remember what the point swing was on that. Well, they um, were ten points down going into the speed round, right? And then the Patriots uh, only needed the speed round in order to put the game out of reach and defended their title for, I believe, the sixth time. Um, They're now nine and zero. Um, Post match interviews got a little feisty uh, with Roca even saying that he was not going to play again, um, which I don't actually think will happen, just because. He's one of the most important people in the Schmodown, and he obviously loves the Schmodown. It's very competitive, so I think um, he will definitely be back soon. I mean, he has he has the live match against JTE next week in the, yeah. um, 
in the singles division. Yeah. Um, and it was also controversial that why, like, he called out Thad Williams as being, like, for the right. Patriots or whatever. Well, you know, that, that I, I kind of like that narrative, though, because you have a lot of people in the past, a lot of the heels, like the Patriots, who will call out Christian, um, you know, when something controversial happens. But now Thad is the commissioner, so it's interesting to see, um, you know, some people who are probably more on Christian's side, people like Roca and Nose, who are coming after um, coming after the new commissioner in Thad Williams. Um, but yeah, it was a great match. Yeah, it was it was it was it was something else to watch, and I can't imagine. I mean, I have no idea how much time they cut out on the challenge, but it, Christian Harloff made it sound like it was a very long time that they spent <laughs> discussing uh, that challenge. So. Yeah, and because the, the because the community, the showdown community, is so vocal, you know, you could really tell that Christian was trying to go through the effort of getting it right. Because no matter what happened, people were going to go nuts. Yeah, um, and it was. But I think it, maybe he just overthought it a little bit in awarding the respin. But ultimately, like I said to you, I think that it didn't change the result of the match. I think the Patriots were the better team. I think they would have won anyway. And I mean, you know, after three matches, they clearly proved that they are the superior team to top 10. Um, so I don't think ultimately it would have changed the result, but definitely food for thought. Yeah. And we talked about how, you know, my, mighty Matt Nost returned to his solidly average form uh, yeah, in this match. I don't know and... what happened in that match against top that, but he, he was not able to maintain that form. And I really think that's the thing that has hurt top 10 in the past. Cause we all know Roca Roca is probably the, was probably the best play individual player at that table. Um, but yep. you know, it's, it's a team competition. It's all about the partner. Maybe, you know, if Nost had known the Cat Baloo question, they could have come up with it quicker. Um, yeah. but it was basically all on Roka for that one. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I hope Roka doesn't come back. I, I know we talked about like our fan, our fan theory of what happens next. I, I would love him to, uh, team up with, you know, break up the top 10, right? Cause they, I mean, they can't, the commissioner has said that they can, they can no longer, uh, challenge for the title as long as, or at least as long as the Patriots still hold the belt, so right. it makes sense for them to break up. And I would love it if they, uh, if he joined up with, with if Roca joined up with Mark and Draco and, and joined the Lions Den. I know he's part of the Four Horsemen or whatever, but uh, I would love it for him to join the well, Lions Den. Four and... Horsemen isn't much of a thing anymore because Bibiani joined the Growling Commandos, and Robert Meyer Burnett is like nowhere to be seen. So it really is just Roca and Nose at that point. So yeah, I think he, that's definitely something I could see him doing, and. Uh, on another bit of news um, with uh, part possible partnerships, um, Stacey Howard, who has her first match of the season coming up um, against RB3, which is going to be the Patreon match for this month, just tweeted out a photo today uh, with Mark Ellis and said, possible Schmodown partnership, question mark, forthcoming, which is interesting because Ellis seemed to be hinting that he was taking a hiatus after he lost to Jeff Snyder in that match. Um but I have seen that a, a partnership between them teased in the past, so that could be uh, very interesting because they're both they're both pretty strong players. Yeah, or maybe or maybe Christian will get back in the game. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I, I can't I imagine Christian and Roca together. I mean, Christian and Roca together would be crazy. Yeah. That, now that would be insane. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we've we've talked we've talked enough. Any, any parting thoughts on on the showdown? This week's a bit of a lighter week, but we do have the live match this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, both of the live matches and, and, uh, and go Wildberries. Um, I think they're gonna, they might actually get their first win um, against the real rejects, but we'll see that. Either way, that should be a crazy entertaining match because those are both ridiculously entertaining teams. So. Yep. All right. Well, I think that just about does it for episode five of Some Like It, Scott. Um, I know I asked you if you had any parting thoughts regarding the Schmodown, but do you have any other parting thoughts, movies related, anything? 
So I want to give a shout out to something called Flashback Cinema, uh, which is, you know, if you go to the movies a lot, you might have heard about this because they show a lot of advertisements before uh, movies play. Um, But it's a company that every week they show a classic film in theaters on Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, Every week it's a new classic film. Um, And I've been wanting to go see one for a while now because it has some excellent selections. Uh, But this week on spring break, I finally decided to go check one out. And luckily it happened to be one of the greatest movies of all time, maybe the greatest movie of all time, um, The Godfather. Um, and being able to see that movie, to experience it on the big screen, um, you know, th- just that first moment when you have that dark screen and you just hear those the music start, that Nino Rota's famous music, um, you know, is enough to give you chills. Um, and definitely uh, watching, even though it was a three-hour experience, um, you know, you can never take your eyes off it. Um, it is truly... A, a, a timeless classic film that will hold up till the end of time. Um, uh, so, so yeah, definitely. Uh, it, be, just being able to see that on the big screen, you know, forty years after it was actually released, uh, was an awesome experience. Because I really think that, especially a movie like that, is it's meant to be seen on a big screen. Um, yeah. So check out the future offerings by going to Flashback Cinema's website. Um, uh, they, they have some more good ones coming up um, and, and I think it's a cool idea and, and a great idea that they're doing that yeah that sounds cool I, I, I did check it out myself and I, I can't find a theater near me that, that does it because we do a, they, the theaters near me do a lot of Fathom events so that's what right. made it possible for me this week to go see the you know the what I think it's theater live event of, of Hamlet um, right. from Benedict Cumberbatch's run as Hamlet from I think it was like a year and a half two years ago now I'm not sure how long ago it was. It was it was two years ago because it was when I was actually in the UK. Um, Got which it. Was 2015. So. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was a it was a recording of him. Honestly, the recording was like a really poor quality. I was actually surprised that they that it was so poor. Like all I, like half the movie, I feel like I just heard people coughing in the background. Was but, it National Theater Live? Yeah, it was National Theater Live. Okay. Yeah, some of theirs are, are pretty decent. But. Yeah, I just thought for like how how big of a deal that was as a production in London. I was right. kind of surprised the recording quality wasn't better. Like I said, like half the movie, there was it sounded like someone was like coughing right next to the mic. So <laughs> that's too bad. Yeah, yeah it. W- but that being said, like it was it was a good production. Benedict Cumberbatch is is a good Hamlet, a, a good Hamlet amongst many good Hamlets. I wouldn't say he like set himself apart, but yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. I was it was only serendipitous that I had even had the time to go see it, and I was glad I went. Good. Cool. All right. So Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? At Scarby Dent, uh, get ready for I'm gonna be I'm gonna be getting some March Madness tweets off for sure. Uh, I already have been getting some off, um, <laughs> so just prepare for that if you follow me at Scarby Dent. Awesome, and I can be found at s s at s Shelton twenty thirteen over on Twitter. Uh, more importantly, however, you can follow this podcast on Twitter as well as at Media Plug Pods, as well as over on Facebook, where you can search for some like at Scott or Media Plug Pods, and you can find it using either search term. We also want to remind you about our Patreon page, and we'd love it if you checked it out, especially so if you decide to support us over there to help us cover the cost of making this show by pledging a couple dollars or just a dollar. One dollar a month gets you early access to all of our episodes, and then the different tiers from there uh, scale up to give you more rewards. If you, do, if you choose not to support us over on Patreon, that's totally okay. You can still find us on wherever you normally find us, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, etc. Um, those places we'd really appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us, subscribed and shared all that jazz, so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. All right. 
We really appreciate all of you taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. This time it's about the Oscars. We'll be back next week with plenty to say about Red Sparrow and the Tomb Raider reboot. But until then, we hope you have a wonderful day. For Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening.